Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, Nick Taylor is the expat Australian who's now CEO of the Lego agency based in Denmark. Nick was a career creative agency exec. She led DDB and McCann in Australia before departing for Spain, of all places, to run DDB's ad agency there. That's until she was approached by a headhunter about becoming the CEO of Lego's in-house agency, which has creative hubs across the globe. It's a big about turn for Nick, who as an international network agency boss has watched the brand in-housing trend take flight over the past decade or more. Lego has long had an internal creative studio, but it started mainly around packaging design. Today, it does pretty much everything, although Nick has been charged with a strategic review of how Lego operates with external agencies and how that should be structured. But there's not much Lego has been doing wrong, really, on product design and messaging. It consistently sits among the most loved brands in the world, and the brand alone was enough to get the attention of an Australian working in Spain. So welcome, Nick Taylor. Great to have you on the mic. So let's start with the obvious question, really. After a long and successful career inside international creative networks, you're now running the global internal creative agency at Lego, which I imagine would historically have been a competitive concern for you while uh, on the agency side. Are you a turncoat, Nick Taylor? Or perhaps a little more diplomatically, why did you leave a sector you started your career in the late 90s, I think, doing shoots for Amway and Freedom Furniture at a small direct marketing agency in Sydney? Give us your take on it all, Nick, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's good to be here. Yeah, goodness me. It is a bit of a turncoat story, I think. I'll explain why, of course. You know, naturally, with a career, you know, that's always been on on the outside in in kind of networks and sometimes independence in Australia, you're kind of just drawn to creativity. That's why you're in it. I don't think many people do our job just for the money and the glory. I think you've got to love the business. So creativity to me is kind of everything. Well, before you go anywhere, Nick, can I? there's a nice anecdote here, which is actually you started uh, when you were going to study, you wanted to do environmental science back in the 90s or whenever it was, and you decided that actually being in a lab and doing science wasn't your thing. So it goes right back, doesn't it? It's been there for a long time. It does. I think, I think I've always recognised that, you know, I, I love the kind of people side, the human side of, you know, whatever career choice I was going to make. And, and for me, that's where the creativity kind of lies, you know, within humanity, within people, within, you know, kind of their behaviour. So always been drawn to that. And I think, you know, everything that I love about the business exists in this business, right? Yes, it's got a different perspective. Yes, I'm inside. But ultimately, you know, all the things I love around the sorts of people, around the kind of opportunities and briefs that we get to use our kind of lateral thinking to solve problems is available to me here. Mm. And I, I remember when I first started talking to the recruiter about this job and, and of course, you know, going inside comes with some kind of awkwardness or feeling that you might be compromising as a first start. But, of course, mm. you quickly get over that when it's Lego because of its <laughs> yes, you know, yes. brilliance. And There's not many that would you would have, you know, higher resistance to, right? It was a pretty easy think. It's an easy thing because, you know, they're creative business. They're not just a kind of, you know, a more corporate-orientated place, of course. And I think mm. one of the things I observed and talked about when I was, you know, going through the process of coming here was, 
that creativity was no longer really something that agencies owned. You know, there'd be a time when I felt like creativity was mostly kind of showing up and being driven by the agency agenda, right? The creative agenda was the agency's agenda and it was, it was you saw it in less places, it was kind of unique to our business almost. Right. And what I started to observe as time has gone on is that creativity is popping up in more places, right? Businesses right. were actually recognising that that had a core strength, not just kind of something that you would outsource, but it was something that you should build within your own kind of corporate strategy. And you didn't have to look far to kind of see that, you know, a lot of the, the cool things were happening were in, you know, startups as well as some of the bigger brands, right? They kind of had this creative agenda that went well beyond the ads that they made. Right. And so that got a bit interesting to me. So I thought agencies kind of lost their ownership of that agenda, I think, and not by being terrible at anything, but just because other businesses, companies, brands recognised the power of creativity. It was well documented now. It was in the, in the news as the most sought after kind of skill to have into the future. It just became, I guess, a more business orientated objective as opposed to something that just exists on the outside. And I think, you know, that turns up as creative leaders and creative people having more options in your career. You know, right. you're not right. just getting tapped by, you know, the next network or the next kind of creative agency brand. Lego starts knocking on your door going, we think mm. you can come and add value to our business and vice versa. So I find, you know, just the democratization of that agenda, if you like, is really interesting and therefore your options as a creative leader or creative person are just much broader and can be, I guess, you know, there's definitely a twist on it. It's not exactly the same, but it's, you know, I like anything where I'm learning and growing and it's definitely got mm. lots of that because, you know, the scale of the business is so different. I guess some of the other departments and, and people that work in this business, are, you know, just it's like a dream. You know, we've got movie makers at Lego, yes, people who right. know how to do that, right? You sit, you sit close to them in terms of, you know, the agency works alongside of them often. So you go, you've just got more tools in your toolkit to kind of truly access mm. some of the spaces that you know have more impact in in today's media world. So let me ask you this though. So with all that as context, was there any point in which you, as an agency boss, were starting to get a little bit uncomfortable about this democratization of creativity, as you call it? What were you thinking on that side? And then what would you say to your former colleagues and peers on the other side now? It's a good question because I, I was looking back over some of the plans I'd written over the last few years, actually. And I guess one of the things I recognised was, was the need to be better at creative collaboration as an agency. Right. Because, you know, just recognising that we wouldn't have all the answers in-house, right? We just couldn't keep pace. And we didn't have the kind of investment you know, levels required to lead on some of those agendas. So, and the other observation was that some of the, the briefs and business problems that we were solving were so big, you know, they're big, they're around sustainability, they're around kind of equality. And I went, it doesn't make sense that you're not kind of bringing people in to help you solve those problems. These aren't right. isolated things. We surely can't have every capability to kind of truly do something you know, spectacular in response to some of those briefs and challenges. So for me, the agency started to kind of change shape anyway in my mind around 
how good are we at collaborating, like genuinely. As a power station, there's a tendency to hold it all in, you mean? Yeah, I think so. There certainly has been historically and and the way we set up networks is designed that we have all the answers inside anyway. And I think that can be more true, obviously, when you've got more of those kind of dimensions and some, you know, brands within the holding company. But ultimately, it's never been an easy thing to collaborate and put different people around a problem and solve that together, you know, with the right spirit and the right ways of working, because it's a different kind of cultural nuance. It's a it's a less ego, more humble, more open, more curious kind of world. And not every, you know, agency in my experience is kind of built that way. So now that you've sort of jumped to the other side, what do you see from the outside as what does the future of agencies, I guess, look like now that you're coming from a different lens, from coming from a client side lens? Yeah, I love that, you know, agencies will always, 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 in my view, have a role to play because you know, they're capable of evolving and the good ones do. And equally what I love is that new ones pop up. So, you know, when an agency comes from a digital, I guess, history and now they're putting creativity into the mix, I get quite interested around that because they've got this, again, this culture or this DNA that's really expert in kind of data and digital and now they're kind of recognising the power of creativity and pouring that in. So I imagine that that will have some real value in today's world. I love some of the independents that just, they're just coming at things without, you know, protection of, of P&Ls or specialisation right. and they're turning up with product ideas and they're turning up with, with unexpected things and, and I think there'll always be a role for that because I think we need that kind of thinking, you know, in corporations, whether we've got an in-house agency or we don't. I think that's just an injection mm. of perspective that could always, you know, serve a purpose. But I think. You know, in contrast, so I think agencies can take many shapes and I think the networks or the holding companies are thinking about it holistically and going, how do we not have a bias in terms of solving problems and how do we unlock the talent that may have existed in silos? So I go, I buy that because that, that is a collaborative model and that is an unlock in terms of let's be sure to put the right talent around the right problem. So that makes sense to mm. me. And like I said, then independents who just go, Let's just kind of show up with a pure creative agenda and no mouths to feed as such, you know, around that, that, that mm. kind of network structure and put real disruption on the table. They tend to come no. from networks, you know, they get a bit frustrated from the, the usual way of working and possibly, you know, having too many limits placed on them sometimes, you know, too many expectations. Mm. This, you know, I've seen some... I've spoken to a few recently and I just, I love the energy. I love the fact that they, they're not thinking of a P&L outcome. They're kind of going, this is just mm. cool, right? This just makes sense to us right. and, and, and it's lateral. So I think there's a place and I'm buying some of the stories and evolutions of the networks and of these indies, but I think, you know, there's an equally, and I think you, you put it in our notes, there's this whole when is it right to consider maybe an in-house solution for your brand or business. Mm. And I think, you know, my view on that is as the world gets more complex, as the channels get more and the need for content, you know, increases, as the role of data plays a more significant role in how that content is created, then it makes sense that you've got capability that's much closer to the business, right? You don't, you can't afford almost to kind of take it out and bring it back in. I want to get to all that, but I think we should probably set the scene about 
the agency that you are now CEO of, and let's get to all the things that Lego Agency does. Because you know, you mentioned in our in our earlier conversation, it did start off as a sort of a packaging design unit, but now it's you know you've got hubs regionally. You're doing all sorts of stuff. So just tell us what the hell the Lego Agency does. There's lots of similarities. Perhaps what it doesn't do, maybe. Exactly. (laughs) I'll I'll call out things it doesn't do, which, like you say, they're hard to find. But um, there's lots of similarities, right? You've got a strategy team and and a really good one where you've got talent from, you know, every major agency brand around the world. So they're it's amazing. So they've come over as well. They come over as well, and you've probably got more of them than than you used to, right? So there's a good lineup Mm. of strategy talent. So it's a club of turncoats. Yeah. They actually are in Lego, <laughs> for sure. Then a creative department, which again, integrated art directors, writers, you know, more digital orientated people, social orientated people. So you've got that department, account people and project management. You know, as I said, the digital and social teams, you've got a really probably bigger than usual as well production team, you know, with lots of in-house capability around making stuff. So we've got really good facilities where we can film right. and and do, you know, sound and all sorts of stuff. So we're well well resourced in that in that perspective. Then one of the, the surprising beautiful things was we've, we've basically got like an interbrand or future brand inside capable group of people who have been responsible for the packaging. But, of course, that sophistication and that team's just kind of grown and, and evolved mm. over time and they're, they're amazing. You know, they're like off the charts kind of brilliant and very upstream on the creation of product. So they work super close, closely with the design team, the product design team, because the packaging and the product itself are fairly interlinked. So that's, you know, I guess an experience I've never had, which feels different and cool. And then I mentioned before, then you've got, so that's my organisation. How many people in that? And you've got hubs as well? Good point. And the hubs, of course. We've got a hub in London, a hub in Connecticut, a hub in uh, China, Shanghai, and and Singapore for Asia Pack, and so these hubs are under my remit. So they're part of global, but they kind of operate in the right. regions. And their job is to you know adapt global work because we kind of do a lot of central production at the global level, or concepting and production. But equally, kind of you know drive some of those more regional orientated activities as well. So if you look at the talent quality in those hubs, it's amazing as well. <laughs> and quite a few turncoats. Yeah, that's right. How many people in your team then in your aid in the Lego agency? So there's 400, there's 400, 400 just over right. 400 people. Yeah. It's a good sized team. And I think, you know, we have a good agency roster that supports us as well across different parts of the, mm. of the system. I'm really interested in the proximity you have to, you know, the glamour team that deal with Hollywood and sort of all the content that the television series, the the films, there's an amazing amount of stuff that goes on. How do you click into that? How do you sort of lock in and what do you see there? What do you make of it? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, again, another one of those parts where I'm just like, wow, this is such a brilliant experience for me and my own, you know, growth in this industry. But, um, yeah, there's a whole entertainment business unit that actually is set up in, in L.A. as it should be that, you know, work with us on all the IPs. And those IPs are as much product-centric as they are kind of film-based. So, you know, whether it's, you know, Star Wars or, or some, you know, Nintendo, like we've got a lot of partners that we work with mm. that do, you know, kind of collaborations from product level and, and then, of course, the comms and marketing around that as well. And, yeah, I mean, seeing the pipeline of what those, that team 
uh, are considering is is brilliant. And, you know, the truth is, yeah. and I said this to Jill who runs it, I said, you know, I see the agency equally contributing to ideas around that, right? Like we should be going, hey, we've got this idea mm. for a show and we need your help to kind of pull it off. But that's the team that does Lego Masters as well. So it's not all yes, kind of, right. you know, just films. These are shows mm. and, you know, they're, they're world-class. They're kind of a, a really brilliant team that have worked for Lego for a long time because it's actually a big part of, of what we do. Do you see, does it give you access to do stuff with the agency in terms of executions and creative that, how tight is it that? Does it open up a whole bunch of options for you or is it sort of kept, is it ring fenced? It's not ring fenced. So I've got Thomas who runs our design team, who was a really big part of the Ninjago story. He, can't, he, was, he was one of right. the creators of the story, of the concept. So he still works side by side with the entertainment team on how that gets developed. Mm. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, you can access those things. And, you know, the truth is I think he did it out of sheer passion. I don't know if he got handed a brief or what, but he kind of just made it happen. Right. And that's, I think that's the sort of attitude you need to have to work here and kind of maximise the experience. Well, it's interesting you bring that example up because, you know, your talent pool, clearly it's quite diverse. You've got it's a lot of international people in HQ and, and around the hubs you talk about. But there's always this argument that creatives get bored working on one brand or if they're in-house, it can be limiting in terms of what you keep doing. It's the same old, same old. I'd imagine you'd have no problem attracting talent with Lego or to Lego, but how do you go holding them? And do you buy that notion that there is a limiting factor to being in-house on one brand for a creative sort of leaning person? I think variety matters, you know, even... It was one of the things I had to get my head around. But then the, the work that we do for Lego is so broad and diverse. And I think, you know, the things that we can make, the output can be so much broader, again, compared to an advertising no. agency where you're like, oh, you're the above-the-line agency and you get to deliver these things. So it's a bit mm. limitless from a kind of what sort of ideas we can make. So I just, I just know people who've worked here for a long, there's many people who've worked here for a long, long time. And I think the agency is just so much, you know, it's part of a bigger system of creative things. So there's plenty of people who have different careers in Lego too, right? They might walk through the agency door and then they end up being a product designer or they end up going into the right. content entertainment team because there's things that are very creative and, and where those skills can kind of transfer. And Lego mm. really support that kind of, I guess, long-term career, you know, agenda. So it's cool from that perspective. And in most cases, having spent a bit of time with the creatives now, they're kind of going, I've never, ever dreamt of, you know, making, being part of making a show and now I am, or I've always wanted to do that and now I am. So they're kind of, you know, they're, they're books. And I go, it's the job to kind of make people as good as they can while they're here. Of course we want to keep people, but I equally go, some people are here for like three years and then want to go off and do something different. And that's mm. okay too, but there's a lot of enthusiasm for all the possibilities with this brand and the fact that we work with so many different partners. So you get a lot of external inspiration right. through the people you work with. Well, this you know? is the thing, right, because yeah. Lego is probably a bit of an outlier and an exception, mm. but how many brands can and or should do something like the Lego agency? At what point does it work? Because, you know, I think most of us would go, Lego is pretty special. Can that be replicated easily or naturally or should it be? I think when you've got a business that's, that is naturally creative, 
Mm. It flows, right? You go, it makes sense that we're also delivering on the communications part and and thinking about this holistically and using, you know, that beautiful cross-functional opportunity. Like I had the design, the product design, some of the, the leads of that, which are probably our rock stars if you look at the, the yes, context, right? right? They're, they're the, the real creatives. That's probably the wrong terminology, but they're, the, they're at the centre of, you know, what Lego is from a creative point of view, the product. And they just they can just come and talk to my team freely, right, about their creative process and and what sort of thinking and idea they had when they originally thought of this and therefore the flow into well, what's the idea from a creative comms perspective gets easier. You know, it's, it's well understood and, and the baton's passed, you know, with, with a bit more integration and understanding. So that, that works, like you say, from a culture perspective. But I think I just think at a macro level there's a case because of the complexity, because of the speed to market requirements as well. You know, there's so much more complication in how we go to market and getting all those things kind of lined up and sequenced is part of the challenge for how you create impact. So I think I think there's probably a case for most businesses to be considering it in some form in terms of what success could look like. I think you need a culture that supports creativity mm. to make it amazing. That would be hard for me to assess from the outside because like you say, a lot, of, a lot of companies may be new to that kind of philosophy or culture and or you know, a bit more pragmatic around how they do things. So, but, you know, knowing that data plays a bigger role in how we communicate too, you want to be close to that source. You don't want to be kind of passing that off. So there's, I think there's good rational cases, but I think culture plays a big role in how successful it may or may not be. So when you hear, when I hear, you know, a lot of the service providers, the agencies and services companies talking about, for instance, data-led creativity and creative agencies having data and analytics in there, or at least having capability to sort of interpret what that what those insights might be. Do you have that yourself? I mean, what is the, the understanding of the Lego agency across the data and tech stacks as opposed to the creative capabilities and what can be done in a communications context? Yeah, it, transition. So we're in the process of building more of that capability because it's like the rest of the world. We recognise that it's increasingly important and, and we're in that I guess, you know, luxurious position to help join some of those dots because we get the perspective. But for me, yeah, it's a capability that, that we will enhance. Right. And that's underway now, like you're yeah, looking to do that. Yeah, that's underway. Moment, and, right? and underway yeah. before okay. my time. It's just something, you know, we all recognise that in the case of COVID, you know, consumer behaviours changed, how we go to market, you know, has mm-hmm. changed and therefore there's lots of opportunities around that. Well, funnily, you did mention the customer, which we should probably um, have a chat around given it's what we all orbit around. What did happen for Lego through COVID? What happened in terms of product sales, the sort of products that were working, how the communications went? What happened in COVID and is it reverting somewhere else now? Lego, and I think it's well published, so I'll, I'll try and recall you know, some of the messages that came out, but Lego did grow over this period. And I think, you know, whilst there's a digital revolution and people's habits changed around, you know, how they connected and even socialised, through the screen in a whole new way across all ages, people spent more time together as a family and Lego was, mm. was something that people did as a family. And it's tangible. It's a real product, you know, it's a real thing in your hands. So, you know, the love for Lego only increased over that period of time. And I think the marketing was as it is with Lego. It's very purpose-driven. It's, you know, it's a bit gentle. You know, we try and be, you know, real advocates for children and children are our role models. So the the way we tell those stories is 
you know, I think, you know, inspiring and and designed to kind of, you know, ultimately, what do we say? We make the world a playground, right? Like we want that kind of emotional feeling. And I think when times get tough, being a brand that kind of can give you that experience, you know, it's a nice position to have. So its relevance has increased and the product range is, you know, amazing. We've got products now for all ages. Even sort of 50-year-old white males like me, yeah. do I can be engaged. Like There's a new Ferrari yeah, right. that's come out, and if, ah. you, if this goes well, I'll send you. I'll send you something. I'd be happy with a Ute too. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, um, you know, you talked about that sort of COVID and and how customers what they were doing through COVID. So much talk is done across the market now about direct to consumer and e-com and changing distribution channels. Does that sit in your remit at all, or is it part of thinking that's going on in the company? And where is that at in terms of e-com and DTC, as they say? Yeah, it's a really significant part of our business. It's definitely grown through COVID. Um, yeah, our direct and own channels are, have been, you know, really supported and nurtured over the last couple of years. So, Sorry, I'm going to try. You're not going to tell me, but what's the quantum in terms of what it represents for the business, you know, uh, DTC and e-com that sort of goes direct? I'd have to double check to be accurate, but it's probably doubled in size. Okay. And it's holding now. And it's holding now. So that's it's like it's a new behavior, right, that's kind of remaining. Mm. But, you know, we, we've equally seen, when I say the comeback, the bricks and mortar yeah. is coming back and we're opening lots of stores around the world, like branded stores, owned channels. They've sort of seen as that sort of whole halo of just get people in to see the experience just so that they feel it and see it. It's that notion rather than a sort of a hardcore retail. I mean, I'm sure you sell, but um, it's sort of more about a positioning and, a, and see the product. Yeah, they're beautiful. It. They're beautiful things and... And yes, it's more a brand experience kind of goal. I think, yeah, they're really nice. In fact, there was one that opened in Barcelona just before I left. And, you know, you can make your own minifigure in there, you know, through a, a, like a 3D printing mm. machine. The displays were unbelievable, you know, lots of interactive, you know, other components. And you could spend hours in there. I think my, I took my daughter in and we were in there for at least 45 minutes or so. I bet, yeah. Hey, and so let's get back to a little bit around where creative is going before we wrap this one up. It's been really interesting. What's your take on creative automation and personalization at Lego? Is, is that on your radar? And for whether it was on agency side or now at Lego, so much talk is, a, is now about, to your point, content. How do you scale content and personalization and automation and so forth? Does that get on Lego's radar at all? And Or is it something you're, where are you at with that? Yeah, it's definitely on our radar. And we've got even another organisation that we work in partnership with, so it's not completely black and white, but they're essentially the dot-com kind of content people. It's a bit more always-on orientated thinking, I guess, as opposed right. to campaign orientated thinking, if you could make some kind of distinction. Mm. But the truth is we're both kind of merging around those those content, you know, kind of deliveries. But, yeah, it's a big thing for Lego. And because we, I guess, a business that not only makes products, we retail those products directly, sometimes or a lot of the time through third parties as well, we've got a real chance to kind of own every part of that ecosystem, you know, without mm. kind of disconnecting the data collection chain. So that's something we really care about here and there's a whole program not driven by me specifically around that. So what's next, Nick? What does Lego look like in three years in terms of the Lego agency at least? And I did hint up the top that there's sort of you're looking at even your outside partners and what that could look like. So give us a few hints, if you can, about what your thinking is there. Is it, are you looking to 
sort of do something very different with your external partners or just, you know, get some efficiencies and streamline or what happens? I think the model will always be, I think even one of our values is called creative collaboration. So I think we will always have external partners with a seat at the table. And I think I just want to organise that in a way that's just a little more transparent and, and understood, not only just by the agency, me, but our stakeholders. So there's just a nice, easier way of going, hey, hang on, it's this brief, so let's therefore do this as a next step. And I think, you know, the role of external partners, like I said, can be sometimes there as a new perspective and bringing something new to the table and or it can be, you know what, we want to build this capability and so far we're not, you know, super strong in that, so let's get a partner in to really support us around that. In other cases, we're going, we don't want to do that in-house, so let's get a partner to kind of take that part of the process away and be awesome at that. So I think, I think it'll just be a more you know, clearly organised and transparent model that, that right. has those three things in mind. And then, you know, the agency itself, you know, my, I always have this sense that, that things can be even more creative, right? And, you know, when someone like me arrives, I'm, I'm a natural kind of, you know, let's shift some gears kind of character. So whilst there's so many good things here, and for me, you know, super inspiring given, you know, all the capability that kind of surrounds me, you know, I'm always going, let's be even more, I guess, you know, drivers of culture and really think about, you know, ideas that are even more surprising or more impactful. So that's, you know, that's not a very specific answer, but I always think that creativity can be, you know, kind of a few more gears changed. On the creative front, and this is probably the antithesis of what you're just talking about, but what you've seen inside the Lego agency now versus the external networks that you are running, what are the efficiencies and what's the velocity, what's the pace that happens, the turnaround times inside versus external? Is that sort of um, notable, notably different? Not really. The thing that's different is the schedule you work to is directly linked to the portfolio of product, right? Or, you know, okay. of things. So I, again, I'm in this luxurious position where I've got a seat at the table with the most, you know, confidential horizons of what we're planning. So what's different is that we work on things that aren't going to market for two or three years right. in some cases, right? So we're upstream on, on projects that are still very conceptual, haven't quite landed even in a product sense. So you're kind of working on time horizons that I'm sometimes going, is this one next year or is it in three years' time? Yeah, yeah right. Sometimes. I have been because I'm new, a little confused about when things exist. So that's a new thing. That's a new thing where you're properly mm. involved and creating work and ideas for things that, that aren't even kind of real yet and are down the track. So, so I, I guess I asked that, Nick, is because I think we mentioned it earlier. We had um, the CMO of, at ANZ Bank on the mics, I think, last year, and she talked about um, – um, Sweet Omera talked about where the cost of even just a, some content, the cost of a social media post when it was going to the agency might have been $5,000. And, you know, she said, well, in the end, you know, her son could do it just about as well and for much cheaper. So those things she was saying, we need to bring them in-house. ANZ needs to bring them in-house. But other things the creative agencies are absolutely need for. She wasn't wiping them out, but there's some things. And I guess that was where, you know, that's a process and a cost base that I don't know if you see that or not at the Lego agency. You do. We've got a really competent and, you know, fast turnaround kind of content factory, we call it. And so things come in and out of there at speed. Mm. And I think I've always found those things sometimes really hard to kind of make happen in an external agency at that speed. Right. 
it's almost, you know, we always battled what's important and what's not and, and it's almost like we're just so used to caring that everything kind of comes the same thing, whereas here you can kind of really section off parts and go, no, this is a fast content factory and it needs to be done that way and that's appropriate for that output. So, yeah, there's definitely benefits there if you can build those things, but it, I don't think it's far from the only reason. Yeah. And so a year or two from now, what do you think you'll be working on? What will be sort of the – how different will it be under your stewardship? You know, I want, I want us to have a lot of fun. I mean, we naturally do in Lego. There's all sorts of – they call them leadership playground things that we activate to make even the process of making work fun. So I'm always up for more of that. One thing that we Lego hasn't done, which I will change, so you probably see more of us in the external world as an agency – so I want us to to have a presence. I want us to enter more awards. I want us to kind of participate yeah, right. in that world a little more and build the profiles of our people because it's a little bit of a, a mystery. Mm. I think we can get, you know, a bit more loud and proud on, on the agency itself within the industry and feel like a legitimate, you know, kind of person or company within it. So that's a change that I plan to make. So therefore... You know, which is a little, little, Lego's not naturally like that because it's very humble. It's a very humble culture. You know, we're, yeah. not, we're not braggers. What were you saying before? It was 80 years old, family still, it's in a town, that, 90, and it's still, it's in the town, Billend, Billend, I think you said, a couple Billend, of hours yeah. out of Copenhagen, which is where the family sort of started the whole thing. Yeah, and they still own it and they still, still show up and they still care about what we're doing and the purpose is never compromised. Mm. And and there is a humility here, so it's very we don't like to brag too much. So w- awards isn't a natural thing. But I went, you know, if we do it in the right way and get recognised for the right things, like the diversity inclusion initiatives that we do and or other things, then then I think it will work. So I think you know you can expect us to have a I guess a bit more of a profile and voice in the world of creative agencies. I'm imagining there that you're talking about those big sort of benchmark awards, whether it be CAN or DNAD and, and things like that. Is that what you're talking about? Yep. And effectiveness, you know, shows as well or awards because mm. I think that matters okay, to us. We've subscribed to that, I guess, you know, way of thinking. So final question for you is in around what everyone is at least contemplating and trying to work out what to do, which is sort of purpose and brand purpose. And, you know, from an external perspective, I see, you know, just about every marketer and every brand trying to work through what that looks like. Lego's got some natural territory there, but what do you make of both um, the opportunity for Lego in and around purpose or more of it? And then what do you make of others trying to do it, other brands trying to do it without perhaps maybe some of the legacy or the authenticity that Lego has? Everyone's trying, right? Would that be a fair observation? You see, I imagine you'd see that everywhere. Yeah, I think everyone is trying and I think there's a good reason for it because I think when you've got one that's authentic, then it can create real you know, value and, and commercial success. We don't have to be ashamed of, of a purpose driving that success, right? And I think in the case of Lego, it's a corporate strategy. It's not a marketing thing. Right. You know, it, right. It, the owners of our company are, you know, subscribe to the purpose. So every commercial, every, every corporate decision is made with that in mind. And, and therefore mm. this thing mm. flows. It flows through the choices we make in product, the choices we make in in the Lego Foundation, the choices we make in, in all the extras that I guess Lego does beyond, you know, the product itself. And everyone knows it and everyone aligns to it. And it's the reason why people even come to work here, right? That is at the heart of everything. And like you said, I don't know how many businesses, firstly, will set up with that in mind and, and operate in that way and make every decision 
through the lens of that purpose. So it's quite a unique place in, in my experience so far. When are you back in Australia? <laughs> um, I was back not long ago for a couple of weeks, which was the first time in nearly three years, and it was joyful. I was so happy to have my, my feet in the sand of Bondi and to hug my, mm. my sister and my brothers and my nieces and nephews that have fundamentally, you know, transformed into bigger people. But um, I think maybe next Easter, yeah. I've got so oh, between now and we'll then there's so much it. to do. So <laughs> There is, right? Yeah, good talking, Nick. Um, yeah. I look forward to a sort of a follow-up in 12 months' time to um, see what has progressed and what you've done and how things are evolving. But um, great, congratulations. Big, big, interesting job. So well done. Thanks for joining. No, thanks, Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.